Hello, welcome to The Pocket Contemplative. I'm Dave Smelser. This week, we'll look at two biggie contemplative ideas and how they play off each other in what I think is a generative way. One is a look at the strange exhortation of Jesus's, that we need to be perfect just like God is perfect. It's an idea that the great Christian teachers have suggested means we'll experience union with God insofar as we experience a kind of integration in our life, a kind of alignment, a kind of coherence. And the second idea is to see this in light of one of the most famous of all contemplative practices, the Jesuit daily exercise called the Examine. I will introduce you to a recent book on the integrity idea from an Oprah favorite and to a charming older book that's among my wife's favorite books and has recently helped move me into this practice in a way that I've just loved. Before I do, let me briefly mention that if you'd be interested in actually connecting with actual human beings from various parts of America and beyond, we do have three weekly groups that you're welcome to poke your head in on to see if they might delight and encourage you as they do for a lot of people. You can learn more about them at journey-on.net, journey-on.net. You can also learn all sorts of other interesting stuff about the sorts of stuff we're involved with. And uh, then you can also learn there how to check these groups out. All right, let's get going with The Examine and Your Best Life. During a prayer time last week, I had my hand over my heart as I asked God to point out for me what least brought me life from the previous day. What was I, what was I least happy about? And after a moment, I realized it was, till somewhat in pandemic mode, feeling cooped up in my lovely home, feeling restless. After a moment of staying in this space, I realized I could invite a friend to do something I'd really enjoy doing on that lovely spring day. And so I got in touch with my friend, and an hour later we were doing that fun thing, and it was awesome. The next day I had my hand over my heart as I asked God to point out for me what had most brought me life the previous day, and it was unsurprisingly the fun outing with my friend. But what least brought me life was some work-related anxiety I'd sort of been holding at bay, not acknowledging. As God brought that, which I'd, again, been avoiding addressing, to the front of my consciousness, I realized there was an obvious way forward, and I got unstuck. So, backing up for a minute, contemplatives make a surprising case for how we can find happiness. Some of them point to a curious scripture that's hard to interpret under any circumstance. Jesus' command to us in the Sermon on the Mount to, quote, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. This is seen to be some sort of impossible command, right? Proving again how rotten you and I are because was this about some sort of unattainable moral perfection that Jesus demanded that we like never do anything wrong? Contemplatives take a very different tack, saying that our life's work is to find a kind of integrity in the sense that a well-built building has integrity. So God the Father has perfect integrity. His, the walls of his building aren't cr crumbling in at any point. So for instance, there's no reason God would ever need to lie God's perfectly truthful because lying is about trying to manipulate us into some sort of alternate reality to prop up some part of ourselves that needs propping up, and now you can do it if I just lie to you. God is going to be perfectly truthful in this view because there is no crumbling wall. The walls are all standing just fine. They're doing what they're supposed to do. Everything's in alignment with itself. And so the encouragement, the contemplatives say, that Jesus is giving us is we are encouraged to find that sort of perfection, that sort of integrity. So Dante's Divine Comedy argues that that's the integrity that makes it possible for you or me, for instance, to walk into paradise, into heaven. That sort of integrity, when it happens, suddenly union with God just floods into us. So that sounds good. Sounds like happiness, or it sounds like, to use modern language, our best life. What do they mean? How do we do it? 
So the Jesuits, whom you may know are a Catholic order founded about 700 years ago that like built a good deal of Europe's educational system, Jesuits were on board with this idea from the beginning. They are famous for their spiritual exercises and their intensive training retreat. And their most famous spiritual practice has had a revival of interest in many circles recently. It became a big thing in my circles, at least, maybe 20 years back. It's a practice called the examine, where once a day or several times a day, you ask God to help you identify what is most bringing you life that day and what's least bringing you life that day. I think a reason this has remained so popular for 700 years is that it's kind of like a surgical strike on this living in integrity is the way to happiness idea. I'll explain more what I mean in a minute. But that said, let me be honest, I've never really gotten its popularity until pretty recently. Um, I think I've taken it superficially. I think I haven't known how anyone would take it not superficially, and I'll, I'll tell you more in a minute. But that said, here are different ways of framing the questions the examine encourages us to ask daily. It's a paired set of questions. Just one question, then the next. That's the whole thing. But these are just different ways to phrase it. What was I most grateful for today? What was I least grateful for today? That would be one pairing. What brought me life? What took life from me? When was I happiest today? When was I saddest today? Or, using the language they become most known for, what was my consolation and what was my desolation? Again, until recently, it hadn't been hugely helpful for me because I can lean towards optimism. I kind of need optimism to feel like life's okay. I am prone, like perhaps some of you are, to like not want to think about the negative stuff. Just sort of, sh if, I, if I just don't look at it, maybe it won't, you know, devour me whole. And so I just, I don't want to think about that stuff. I want to think about the good stuff. But even me thinking about the good stuff, the consolations I discovered didn't get me very far. So our family, for instance, like many families, used the examine over the years as like a way that the whole family around the dinner table can share about their days. What was the best part of your day? What was the worst part of your day? And I think, I don't think we've gotten tremendously far with that as a family. It was helpful as like, a, you know, force people to talk and to say something. Most people of our family would not come up with worst parts of their days. Mostly it was just some superficial best part. And I was no different. And so I'm the sort of person I can think, I don't know, what, what was the best part of my day? Well, I got a dozen things. I was watching a basketball game with my favorite team and they won. That was fun. I enjoyed that. Consolation. I took a pretty walk and man alive, the light was beautiful and it's good to be outdoors. Consolation. I had a fun conversation with some family member and consolation. You know, so I can just rattle off superficial positive things that don't mean much to me, except I suppose they're positive, and then I don't come up with a negative thing at all. And so there you go. I think our family can relate to that. Didn't take us very far. So I'll get back to what's unlocked its helpfulness for me in this finding the integrity of my life sort of way, which I think it has in a moment. But first, let's take a look at the problem that perhaps it's trying to solve, which again is how we can find the kind of integrity that contemplatives claim Jesus is trying to encourage us towards in the Sermon on the Mount, where suddenly we experience purity of heart, where we're aligned, and because of that, Jesus says, we see God. That sounds good. Where on psychological terms, we approach what psychologists might call flow. Whereas the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans chapter 12, we suddenly realize that God's will for us, far from being sort of hard and difficult, is in fact good, pleasing, and yes, perfect. Sounds good. How does that happen? What well, only happens when we are in integrity, and so God's will can kind of flood into us, and we love it. That sounds appealing. It's a time, we're told, when our life flat out just works. 
A recent related book some friends and I have looked at recently is by an Oprah favorite named Martha Beck. Her book is called The Way of Integrity. Subtitle is Finding the Path to Your True Self. Martha Beck has written a bunch of bestsellers. She's been a columnist for Oprah's magazine since its inception. I think her early book was called Expecting Adam about her first pregnancy. And I remember reading that back in the day, preaching on it a couple of times uh, in our Cambridge church. She's written a bunch of books, too, on this true self thing. Clearly, it's an important thing to her. This is not the only book on it. It's just the most recent. But she dives into this integrity idea. Let me give you a sense of its points. Um, unhappiness, the premise here is, means that things are misaligned in your life. When you're unhappy, it's sort of a clue. And we get unhappy often because of being enculturated into a culture that doesn't give a rip about our happiness, that has a certain set of rules which we have to follow or we're going to be kicked out. And of course, we don't want to be kicked out of the cultures we're in. We want friends. We want family. We don't want to be kicked out. And so we don't really even entertain other ways of looking at happiness in life. Cultures, in the sense, are often filled with oughts and shoulds, and we just uh, internalize them. Um, or maybe, so that can make us unhappy if our actual consolations and desolations don't line up with those oughts and shoulds, but we just have to stuff it. It'll, like, part of our walls will crumble a little bit. We'll have some cave-ins, but we'll just have to live with that and, and not go in those rooms, which are dark and, and destroyed. We'll have to keep those doors shut because that's just the way life is. Other things that can cause this misalignment, this lack of integrity. It might be because, because of a belief that if we just get more, it's going to make us happy. If we just get more money or better relationships or more opportunities or more something, that's going to make us happy. And uh, she being this famous Oprah person, she's a coach, I guess some sort of life coach. And so people come to her and people come to her because she's so well-known or often well-known themselves or they're rich or things like that. And so she tells these stories that you and I are not going to be able to relate to so well, but like, you know, somebody who's just had a $200 million deal, but who's miserable. And of course we think, well, boo, hoo, hoo. But her point is, right, that that person also thought there was no reason for them to be miserable, but they just were. And so... I had to talk to them about, well, it means you're out of integrity in some sense, and how do we get there? And I'll tell you some of what she said to this person in a minute. So getting more might be the thing that gets us out of integrity, is that we think, if I just had more, I'm not happy now, but if I get more of all the stuff that's not made me happy so far, it will suddenly make me happy later. Again, religion, she would say, could be more prone to put us out of integrity because religion tells us what we should want. There's a certain culture in any given, given religious setting where it might be progressive, it might be conservative, it might be whatever it is. Those are the norms. You abide by them or you are booted. And so what if that is not in line with our who we are? So our opportunity then is to regain touch with what actually brings us life along the lines of the examine. So she says that when we're out of integrity, we might discover a few problems we might discover that we have trouble finding our people. So if we're in a setting where we aren't fully aligned with who we are, we might be with other people who aren't really fully aligned to who they are. And so we're just seeing their false selves and they're seeing our false self. And so we don't really know each other. And so we don't find our peeps. Or maybe they're in a setting that's perfectly aligned to who they are. They love it. But we're kind of holding back parts of who we actually are because we don't love it quite so much. It's not who we actually are. Maybe we haven't even acknowledged that to ourselves. But so because of that, they don't feel like our peeps. How do we, how do we find our circle? We find our circle, she argues, as we learn integrity. 
The more integrous we are, the more we find our circle. That's kind of interesting to me. Um, we might, she says, discover we have health, health problems. I have a friend who's very into this book and for reasons which would have something to do with things we've talked about here. But he's a, you know, fit, you know, guy who is very, you know, very thoughtful about his health, but has had real health troubles. And I kind of wonder, I haven't had this conversation with him, is one reason he loves this book as much as he does, because um, he discovered his own health troubles uh, came from being out of integrity. And as you get aligned again, your health gets better. Uh, and you can imagine, right, if you're under stresses for X, Y, or Z, you might react to those stresses. Your body might react to those stresses in ways that are not optimal. And the, the other thing she says is if we're out of integrity, we might find that we have addiction troubles, which for the same reason, right? It's like we don't feel good, so we try to feel good, so we get addicted. She says there's some beginning waves to move towards integrity. Now, she has a lot more than this to say. I might actually get to some of the, the riches and depths of some of her points in subsequent podcasts. But just as a way in, she says, look, we need to start by facing the things we avoid feeling. It's me with desolations, right? If I just don't want to think about those things, I think Martha Beck would say, you're going to have a hard time being perfect as God is perfect. God is not hiding from anything, right? There's a way in which we have to be present to our whole experience of life, and the desolations part's pretty helpful for that. We have to face the things we avoid feeling and be present to them right now. And I'll tell you how the this other, this book on the examines helped me realize, oh, one reason I was so superficial to my consolations and desolations, I didn't really know how to bring God into it. It didn't even seem like a godly exercise in particular. And I certainly didn't know how to be present to them. And I think I'm getting better at that. And by gum, it's pretty helpful. So she would say, Beck would say, totally. So my $200 million deal-making guy who was not happy and realized he had no reason not to be happy, he just wasn't. Uh, one thing I helped him do, as I recall, she says is, just be still for a second. And she said, like, feel the soft shirt that you're wearing. What does it feel like to be in that soft shirt? Look out the window. What do you see? What does the light look like? Do you see any birds or any other creatures? What do you notice? What do you notice in the room? What do you notice in, the, in your body? Just notice stuff for a bit. We start off by being present. And she talks about how that was a powerful leverage point for him to move into discovering where his walls were falling down. So we... Face the things we avoid feeling. We were present to them right now. And examine is very helpful with that, I've realized. And then we recognize what our hearts have been trying to tell us or what God has been trying to tell us through who we actually are. And that's a pretty powerful leverage point to move towards integrity. So let's again take a look at how the Jesuits honed this one pretty simple practice to help us find this alignment, which I think is what the examine is about. So here to plug another book, I'm helped by what I think it's safe to say is one of my wife Grace's favorite books, and almost assuredly the one she's given away to the most people. It's a small book written by uh, three family members, one who's a Jesuit, no surprise, it's the exam of the Jesuit practice, one who's a former Jesuit, and the former Jesuit's wife, which might explain why he's a former Jesuit. The book is called Sleeping with Bread. The subtitle is Holding What Gives You Life, Sleeping with Bread, Holding What Gives You Life by Dennis, Matthew, and Sheila Lynn. Dennis, Matthew, and Sheila Lynn, Sleeping with Bread, Holding What Gives You Life. And it's, it'll surprise you if you look for it on Amazon or something because it's this tiny little book. It looks like a children's book, and so the cover is like a, a – would be the cover of a children's book, a kind of charming children's book sort of illustration of someone's a little person sleeping with a loaf of bread, which is a metaphor, no surprise, for what they're talking about. And if you look at the book, it's got a bunch of illustrations like that throughout this very short book. On the other hand, it's a pretty rich, deep book, so don't be put off. That's what it is. 
Anyway, sleeping with bread. So the lens are full of suggestions. And I, here's how I think they would advise me if I can personalize it as if they were speaking to me. I think they would say something like, Dave, why haven't you found your way into the examine? First, I, can I suggest some things to you? Can I, can I suggest that you make the examine a daily ritual, not a casual tossed off thing, like a sacred thing, like a sacrament? And so when they tell us that when they, the three of them do it together every day or every night, they light a candle like it's a sacramental thing. And around the candle, before God, they take a moment, they get still, and they kind of try to sense before God what's their consolation, what's their desolation, they tell each other. They have this ritual. So to make it a ritual, they have a suggestion which echoes a suggestion of the psychologist I mentioned a few podcasts back mentioned. They say, put your hand over your heart. You're in your prayer time, you're in your meditation time, whatever. As part of it, suddenly just put your hand over your heart and be still for a second. It's almost like a, it's a making it a sacred moment, or it's feeling God put his hand over your heart. Sometimes they say, put your second hand over your first hand, like you're being held. And just hold it that way for a moment before God. And then however you talk to God, or maybe it's just through stillness, ask God, what among the many things that are possible is my consolation over the last 24 hours or whatever time frame you want to pick? So again, I could have a list of possibly trivial consolations, a pretty walk, a chat with a neighbor on the way, a TV show I enjoyed, a, moment, a book I read that was really great, an article that came across my feed, which I enjoyed, uh, you know, any, I don't know, something. And all those, any of those things could be your real consolation, but you just don't know why, or it's something you haven't even thought of, but just put your hand over your heart and say, God, you tell me what was my consolation this last day? And then um, ask, God, what was my desolation this last day? And maybe if you're like me, you've been trying to shove all these things out of your consciousness. So it'll just take you a little stillness to think, all right, just being still. Lord, you bring it up. What, what do you say it is? And see if something comes to mind. And does that seem right? And then ask God, why that? You know, what do you think about that? So for me, it's I'm restless because I feel cooped up in my lo you know, lovely house. And there's many things I enjoy, but I'm just restless that I don't get to get out more. That turned out to be my, my desolation one day. And then I asked God, what about that is my desolation? And I had a few thoughts, but then there was an immediate suggestion in that case of like, well, go give it a try and, you know, get out right now, which worked out great. So anyway, that practice, I found myself logging my consolation and desolation each day and little brief notes about why that. And I'm looking for trends, which have been interesting. So sometimes they're big trends, which are not easily fixable. So maybe it's not so obvious as, oh, your desolation is not getting out more. Well, get out more. And oh, goodness gracious, I can. Let's just do it. That's kind of no muss, no fuss. And what's wrong with that? Nothing's wrong with that. But I discover on trends, well, there might be things like, oh, here's a conversation where I felt like kind of like shamed, or I felt like this person was putting me down, or I felt judged, or, and there's a, you know, there might be several days where that, that has echoes of that. There's not an obvious fix for that, but I discover over trends, I'll think, oh God, that seems to be the fourth day in the last, you know, three weeks that's come up. Any comments on that? And God might have comments like, oh, there's an opportunity for you in that day, which is what will it be for you to be able to go into circumstances like that with great hope and openness to me? And open-heartedness to see what happens next and not fear that maybe you'll put yourself in a situation where you'll feel bad about yourself. What would you like to have no fear? To go into all circumstances and see what happens and trust that you can let things go and thrive in those settings. Wouldn't that be amazing? And I'll think, wow, that, that sounds great. You know, what do you have in mind? And so it might be a longer-term thing or something more fundamental. Who knows? Tracking it, I found, is quite helpful. So look, again, 
I am still learning about the examina. But let me talk about why I think that's so targeted towards this integrity. That's the way we can see God. We can be perfect like God. We can even go to heaven. I think it's because it has the amazing offer to us that what we actually like, what actually brings us life, and what actually takes life away from us matters. It's not trivial. Our whole life is not just, well, who cares about that stuff? There's the things I need to do. I need to go to work. I need to provide for family. I need to do my religious duties. I want God to like me. I don't want God to hate me. I want to keep my friends. I want to do whatever. So I've just got to do, do, do. And what I want or don't want, what brings me life or takes life from me is immaterial. These guys actually have a weird way of saying, you know, that can sound godly, but it's actually godless is the crazy thought of the Jesuits that actually being in touch with your actual self is the only way to know if you've got crumbling walls that you've been hiding behind doors that you've closed, that you don't have to spend your whole life fending off bad feelings, that you don't have to spend your whole life not seeing what brings you to life and seeing if there's ways you can actually move into that more and more and learn from the things that don't bring you life more and more and see what that happens. The sense of curiosity that the examine, I believe, is meant to um, engender in us they make the intriguing case that's at the heart of godly spiritual growth. That's not just a secular practice. It's not just a conversation starter. It's the way to hear the voice of God in your actual life. So all to say is, wow, what a provocative thing that's been for me. I'm sure we'll talk about it more. But I'll suggest it to you. Maybe next time you're in a prayer time, consider, put your hand over your heart for a moment and say, God, over the last period of time, 24 hours or over the, you know, if it's in the evening during this day, what has most brought me life? And see what God says and what God would say about it. And after a moment, what's least brought me life? What does God say about that? What does God say about what that means? See what it teaches you. All right. Well, thank you so much for hanging with us here on the Pocket Contemplative. I will look forward to talking with you again shortly. 